In diagram we had a magic square in prime numbers, and it is the one giving the smallest constant sum that is possible. As to the little trap I mentioned, it is clear that diagram is barred out by the words, every basket contained plums, for one plum is not plums, and as we were referred to the baskets, as shown in the illustration, it is perfectly evident, without actually attempting to count the plums, that there are at any rate more than seven plums in every basket, therefore C is also, strictly speaking, barred, numbers over 20 and under, say. 250 would certainly come well within the range of possibility, and a large number of arrangements would come within these limits. Diagram B is one of them. Of course we can allow for the false bottoms that are so frequently used in the baskets of fruit sellers to make the basket appear to contain more fruit than it really does. Several correspondents assumed on what grounds I cannot think that in the case of this problem the numbers cannot be in consecutive arithmetical progression. So I give diagram D to show that they were mistaken. The numbers are 199, 409, 619, 829, 1.039, 1.249, 1.249, 1.459, and 1.879 all primes with a common difference of 210, 410. The mandarins, T, puzzle. There are many different ways of arranging the numbers, and either the 2 or the May 3rd be omitted from the T enclosure. The arrangement that I give is a, Nasik, square. Out of the total of 28.800 Nasik squares of the fifth order this is the only one with its one reflection that fulfills the, T, condition. This puzzle was suggested to me by Dr. C. Planck. Illustration, The Mandarins, T, Puzzle. 19, a magic square of composites. The problem really amounts to finding the smallest prime such that the next higher prime shall exceed it by 10 at least. If we write out a little list of primes, we shall not need to exceed 150 to discover what we require. For after 113 the next prime is 127. We can then form the square in the diagram, where every number is composite. This is the solution in the smallest numbers. We thus see that the answer is arrived at quite easily in a square of the third order, by trial, but I propose to show how we may get an answer not, it is true, the one in smallest numbers without any tables or trials, but in a very direct and rapid manner, 121, 114, 119, 116, 118, 120 area code 117, 122, 115, first write down any consecutive numbers, the smallest being greater than 1 say, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. The only factors in these numbers are 2, 3, 5, and 7. We therefore multiply these four numbers together and add the product, 210, to each of the nine numbers. The result is the nine consecutive composite numbers, 212 to 220 inclusive, with which we can form the required square. Every number will necessarily be divisible by its difference from 210. It will be very obvious that by this method we may find as many consecutive composites as ever we please. Suppose, for example, we wish to form a magic square of 16 such numbers, 
Then the numbers 2 to 17 contain the factors 2, 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, and 17, which, multiplied together, make 510,510 to be added to produce the 16 numbers 510,512 to 510,527 inclusive, all of which are composite as before, but, as I have said, these are not the answers in the smallest numbers, for if we add 523 to the numbers 1 to 16, we get 16 consecutive composites, and if we add 1.3 to 7 to the numbers 1 to 25, we get 25 consecutive composites, in each case the smallest numbers possible, yet if we required to form a magic square of a hundred such numbers, we should find it a big task by means of tables, though by the process I had shown it is quite a simple matter, even to find 36 such numbers you will search the tables up to 10.000 without success, and the difficulty increases in an accelerating ratio with each square of a larger order, 412, the magic night store, 46 55 44 19 58 9 22 7 43 18 47 56 21 6 59 10 54 45 20 41 12 57 8 23 17 42 53 48 5 24 11 60 52 3 32 13 40 61 34 25 31 16 49 4 33 28 37 62 2 51 14 29 64 39 26 35 15 31 50 27 36 63 38 here each successive number in numerical order is a knight's move from the preceding number, and as 64 is a knight's move from 1, the tour is re-entrant, all the columns and rows add up 260, unfortunately, it is not a perfect magic square, because the diagonals are incorrect one adding up 264 and the other 256 requiring only the transfer of 4 from one diagonal to the other. I think this is the best result that has ever been obtained either re-entrant or not, and nobody can yet say whether a perfect solution is possible or impossible. 413. A chessboard fallacy. The explanation of this little fallacy is as follows. The error lies in assuming that the little triangular piece Mark C is exactly the same height as one of the little squares of the board. As a matter of fact, its height if we make the 64 squares each a square inch will be 117 in. Consequently the rectangle is really 917 inches by 7 inches so that the area is 64 square inches in either case. Now, although the pieces do fit together exactly to form the perfect rectangle, yet the directions of the horizontal lines in the pieces will not coincide. The new diagram above will make everything quite clear to the reader. 414. Who was first? Biggs. Who saw the smoke? Would be first. Carpenter. Who saw the bullet strike the water? Would be second. And Anderson. Who heard the report? Would be last of all. 415. A wonderful village. When the sun is in the horizon of any place whether in Japan or elsewhere. He is the length of half the Earth's diameter more distant from that place than in his meridian at noon. As the Earth's semi-diameter is nearly 4.000 miles, the Sun must be considerably more than 3.000 miles nearer at noon than at his rising, there being no valley even the hundredth part of 1.000 miles deep. 416. A calendar puzzle. The first day of a century can never fall on a Sunday, nor on a Wednesday or a Friday. 417. The tiring irons. I will give my complete working of the solution so that readers may see how easy it is when you know how to proceed, and first of all, as there is an even number of rings, 
I will say that they may all be taken off in one third of two and one two moves, and since n in our case is 14, all the rings may be taken off in 10.9 to two moves, then I say 10.9 to two 9.9999923, and proceed to find the position when only 923 out of the 10.9 to two moves remain to be made. Here is the curious method of doing this. It is based on the binary scale method used by Monsieur L. Gross, for an account of which CWW arouse balls mathematical recreations. Divide 923 by 2, and we get 461 and the remainder 1. Divide 461 by 2, and we get 230 and the remainder 1. Divide 230 by 2, and we get 115 and the remainder 0. Keep on dividing by 2 in this way as long as possible and all the remainders will be found to be 1, 1, 1, 0, 0, 1, 1, 0, 1, 1, the last remainder being to the left and the first remainder to the right. As there are 14 rings and only 10 figures, we place the difference, in the form of 4 knots, in brackets to the left, and bracket all those figures that repeat a figure on their left. Then we get the following arrangement, 0000111001011. This is the correct answer to the puzzle. For if we now place rings below the line to represent the figures in brackets and rings on the line for the other figures, we get the solution in the required form. As below, this is the exact position of the rings after the 9.9098 move has been made, and the reader will find that the method shown will solve any similar question. No matter how many rings are on the tiring irons, but in working the inverse process, where you are required to ascertain the number of moves necessary in order to reach a given position of the rings, the rule will require a little modification, because it does not necessarily follow that the position is one that is actually reached in course of taking off all the rings on the irons, as the reader will presently see. I will here state that where the total number of rings is on the number of moves required to take them all off is one third of 2n11. With n rings where n is on there are 2n positions counting all on and all off. In 1 3 2 n 1 2 positions they are all removed. The number of positions not used is 1 3 2 n 2. With n rings where n is even there are 2n positions counting all on and all off. In 2 n 1 1 positions they are all removed. The number of positions not used is here 1 3 2 n 1. It will be convenient to tabulate a few cases. Note first that the number of positions used is one more than the number of moves required to take all the rings off. Because we are including all on, which is a position but not a move. Then note that the number of positions not used is the same as the number of moves used to take off a set that has one ring fewer. For example, it takes 85 moves to remove 7 rings. And the 42 positions not used are exactly the number of moves required to take off a set of 6 rings. The fact is that if there are 7 rings and you take off the first 6, and then wish to remove the 7th ring, there is no course open to you but to reverse all those 42 moves that never ought to have been made. In other words, you must replace all the 7 rings on the loop and start afresh. You ought first to have taken off 5 rings, to do which you should have taken off 3 rings, and previously to that 1 ring, to take off 6 you first remove 2 and then 4 rings. 418 such a getting upstairs, number the treads in regular order upwards, 1 to 8, then proceed as follows, 1 step back to floor, 1, 2, 3, 2, 3, 4, 5, 4, 5, 6, 7, 6, 7, 8, landing 8, landing, the steps in brackets are taken in a backward direction, 
It will thus be seen that by returning to the floor after the first step, and then always going three steps forward for one step backward, we perform the required feat in 19 steps. 419. The five pennies. First lay three of the pennies in the way shown in figure one. Now hold the remaining two pennies in the position shown in figure two, so that they touch one another at the top, and at the base are in contact with the three horizontally placed coins. Then the five pennies will be equidistant, for every penny will touch every other penny. 420. The industrious bookworm. The hasty reader will assume that the bookworm, in boring from the first to the last page of a book in three volumes, standing in their proper order on the shelves, has to go through all three volumes and four covers. This, in our case, would mean a distance of 91 to inches which is a long way from the correct answer. You will find, on examining any three consecutive volumes on your shelves, that the first page of volume I and the last page of volume III are actually the pages that are nearest to volume II, so that the worm would only have to penetrate four covers together. 1 2 inches and the leaves in the second volume 3 inches or a distance of 31 2 inches, in order to tunnel from the first page to the last. 421. A chain puzzle. To open and rejoin a link costs threepence. Therefore to join the nine pieces into an endless chain would cost 2s. 3d. Whereas a new chain would cost 2s. 2d. But if we break up the piece of eight links, these eight will join together the remaining eight pieces at a cost of 2s but there is a subtle way of even improving on this. Break up the two pieces containing three and four links respectively, and these seven will join together the remaining seven pieces at a cost of only one S. 90. 422. The Sabbath Puzzle. The way the author of the old poser proposed to solve the difficulty was as follows, from the Jews abode let the Christian and the Turk set out on a tour around the globe, the Christian going due east and the Turk due west. Readers of Edgar Allan Poe's story three Sundays in a week, or of Jules Verne's round the world in 80 days, will know that such a proceeding will result in the Christians gaining a day and in the Turks losing a day, so that when they meet again at the house of the Jew their reckoning will agree with his, and all three may keep their Sabbath on the same day. The correctness of this answer, of course, depends on the popular notion as to the definition of a day the average duration between successive sunrises, it is an old quibble and quite sound enough for puzzle purposes. Strictly speaking, the two travelers ought to change their reckonings on passing the 180th meridian, otherwise we have to admit that at the North or South Pole there would only be one Sabbath in seven years. 423. The Ruby Brooch. In this case we were shown a sketch of the brooch exactly as it appeared after the four rubies had been stolen from it. The reader was asked to show the positions from which the stones may have been taken for it is not possible to show precisely how the gems were originally placed, because there are many such ways, but an important point was the statement by Lady Littlewood's brother, I know the brooch well, it originally contained 45 stones, and there are now only 41, somebody has stolen 4 rubies, and then reset as small a number as possible in such a way that there shall always be 8 stones in any of the directions you have mentioned, the diagram shows the arrangement before the robbery, it will be seen that it was only necessary to reset one ruby the one in the center. Any solution involving the resetting of more than one stone is not in accordance with the brother's statement, and must therefore be wrong. The original arrangement was, of course, a little unsymmetrical, and for this reason the brooch was described as, rather eccentric. 424. The Dovetailed Block. The mystery is made clear by the illustration, 
it will be seen at once how the two pieces slide together in a diagonal direction. 425. Jack and the Beanstalk. The serious blunder that the artist made in this drawing was in depicting the tendrils of the bean climbing spirally as at a above, whereas the French bean, or scarlet runner, the variety clearly selected by the artist in the absence of any authoritative information on the point, always climbs as shown that the very few seem to be aware of this curious little fact, though the bean always insists on a sinistrosal growth, as B the hop prefers to climb in a dextrosal manner, as a Y is one of the mysteries that nature has not yet unfolded. 426. The Himboard Poser. This puzzle is not nearly so easy as it looks at first sight. It was required to find the smallest possible number of plates that would be necessary to form a set for three himboards, each of which would show the five hymns sung at any particular service, and then to discover the lowest possible cost for the same. The hymn book contains 700 hymns and therefore no higher number than 700 could possibly be needed. Now, as we are required to use every legitimate and practical method of economy, it should at once occur to us that the plates must be painted on both sides, indeed. This is such a common practice in cases of this kind that it would readily occur to most solvers. We should also remember that some of the figures may possibly be reversed to form other figures, but as we were given a sketch of the actual shapes of these figures when painted on the plates, it would be seen that though the six single quote S may be turned upside down to make nine single quote S, none of the other figures can be so treated. It will be found that in the case of the figures 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, 33 of each will be required in order to provide for every possible emergency, in the case of 7, 8, and 0, we can only need 30 of each while in the case of the figure 6 which may be reversed for the figure 9 it is necessary to provide exactly 42. It is therefore clear that the total number of figures necessary is 297, but as the figures are painted on both sides of the plates, only 149 such plates are required. At first it would appear as if one of the plates need only have a number on one side, the other side being left blank. But here we come to a rather subtle point in the problem. Readers may have remarked that in real life it is sometimes cheaper when making a purchase to buy more articles than we require. On the principle of a reduction on taking a quantity, we get more articles and we pay less. Thus, if we want to buy 10 apples, and the price asked is a penny each if bought singly, or 9 pence a dozen, we should both save a penny and get 2 apples more than we wanted by buying the full 12. In the same way, since there is a regular scale of reduction for plates painted alike, we actually save by having two figures painted on that odd plate. Supposing, for example, that we had 30 plates painted alike with 5 on one side and 6 on the other, the rate would be 43 for D, and the cost 11 S, 101 to D. But if the odd plate with, say, only a 5 on one side of it had a 6 painted on the other side, we get 31 plates at the reduced rate of 41 to D, thus saving a farthing on each of the previous 30 and reducing the cost of the last one from 1s, to 41 to d, but even after these points are all seen there comes in a new difficulty, for although it will be found that all the 8 single quote s may be on the backs of the 7 single quote s, we cannot have all the 2 single quote s on the backs of the 1 single quote s, nor all the 4 on the backs of the 3 single quote s, etc. There is a great danger, in our attempts to get as many as possible painted alike of our so adjusting the figures that some particular combination of hymns cannot be represented. Here is the solution of the difficulty that was sent to the vicar of Chumpley Street Winifred.
where the sign X is placed between two figures. It implies that one of these figures is on one side of the plate and the other on the other side. Of course, if we could increase the number of plates, we might get the painting done for nothing. But such a contingency is prevented by the condition that the fewest possible plates must be provided. This puzzle appeared in tidbits, and the following remarks, made by me in the issue for 11th December 1897, may be of interest. The hymnboard poser seems to have created extraordinary interest. The immense number of attempts at its solution sent to me from all parts of the United Kingdom and from several continental countries show a very kind disposition amongst our readers to help the worthy vicar of Chunkley Street win it for over his parochial difficulty. Every conceivable estimate, from a few shillings up to as high a sum as L1.347, tens, seems to have come to hand, but the astonishing part of it is that, after going carefully through the tremendous pile of correspondence, I find that only one competitor has succeeded in maintaining the reputation of the tidbit solvers for their capacity to solve anything, and his solution is substantially the same as the one given above, the cost being identical. Some of his figures are differently combined, but his grouping of the plates, as shown in the first column, is exactly the same, though a large majority of competitors clearly hit upon all the essential points of the puzzle. They completely collapsed in the actual arrangement of the figures. According to their methods, some possible selection of hymns, such as 111, 112, 121, 122.211, cannot be set up. A few correspondents suggested that it might be possible so to paint the seven single quote S that upside down they would appear as two single quote S or four single quote S, but this would, of course, be barred out by the fact that a representation of the actual figures to be used was given. 427 pheasant shooting. The arithmetic of this puzzle is very easy indeed. There were clearly 24 pheasants at the start. Of these 16 were shot dead, one was wounded in the wing, and seven got away. The reader may have concluded that the answer island therefore, that seven remained, but as they flew away it is clearly absurd to say that they remained. Had they done so they would certainly have been killed. Must we then conclude that the 17 that were shot remained, because the others flew away? No because the question was not, how many remained, but, how many still remained, now the poor bird that was wounded in the wing, though unable to fly, was very active in its painful struggles to run away, the answer island therefore, that the sixteen birds that were shot dead, still remained, or, remained still, 428, the gardener and the cook, nobody succeeded in solving the puzzle, so I had to let the cat out of the bag on operation that was dimly foreshadowed by the puss in the original illustration. But I first reminded the reader that this puzzle appeared on April 1st, a day on which none of us ever resents being made an April Fool, though, as I practically gave the thing away by specially drawing attention to the fact that it was all Fool's Day. It was quite remarkable that my correspondence, without a single exception, fell into the trap. One large body of correspondents held that what the cook loses in stride is exactly made up in greater speed, consequently both advance at the same rate, and the result must be a tie. But another considerable section saw that, though this might be so in a race 200 feet straight away, it could not really be, because they each go a stated distance at every bound, and as 100 is not an exact multiple of 3, the gardener at his 34th bound will go 2 feet beyond the mark, the gardener will. Therefore, run to a point 102 feet straight away and return 204 feet in all, and so lose by 4 feet. 
This point certainly comes into the puzzle, but the most important fact of all is this, that it so happens that the gardener was a pupil from the horticultural college for lady gardeners at, if I remember right, Swanley, while the cook was a very accomplished French chef of the female persuasion, therefore, she the gardener made three bounds to his the cook's two. It will now be found that while the gardener is running her 204 feet in 68 bounds of 3 feet the somewhat infirm old cook can only make 45 one three of his 2 feet bounds, which equals 90 feet 8 in. The result is that the lady gardener wins the race by 109 feet 4 inches at a moment when the cook is in the air, one third through his 46th bound. The moral of this puzzle is twofold, one never take things for granted in attempting to solve puzzles, to always remember all fool's day when it comes round. I was not writing of any gardener and cook, but of a particular couple, in a race that I witnessed. The statement of the eyewitness must therefore be accepted, as the reader was not there, he cannot contradict it. Of course the information supplied was insufficient, but the correct reply was, assuming the gardener to be the he, the cook wins by four feet. But if the gardener is the she, then the gardener wins by 109 feet for him. This would have won the prize. Curiously enough, one solitary competitor got onto the right track, but failed to follow it up. He said, is this a regular April 1st catch? Meaning that they only ran six feet each, and consequently the race was unfinished. If not, I think the following must be the solution. Supposing the gardener to be the he and the cook the she. Though his solution was wrong even in the case he supposed, yet he was the only person who suspected the question of sex. 429. Placing H.A.L.F.D.N.I.S. 13 coins may be placed as shown on page 252. 430. Find the man's wife. There is no guessing required in this puzzle. It is all a question of elimination. If we can pair off any five of the ladies with their respective husbands, other than husband number 10. Then the remaining lady must be number 10's wife. I will show how this may be done. Number 8 is seen carrying a lady's parasol in the same hand with his walking stick. But every lady is provided with a parasol. Except number 3, therefore number may 3rd be safely said to be the wife of number 8. Then number 12 is holding a bicycle. And the dress guard and make disclose the fact that it is a lady's bicycle. The only lady in a cycling skirt is number 5. Therefore we conclude that number 5 is number 12 single quote as wife. Next, the man number 6 has a dog, and lady number 11 is seen carrying a dog chain. So we may safely pair number 6 with number 11. Then we see that man number 2 is paying a newsboy for a paper, but we do not pay for newspapers in this way before receiving them, and the gentleman has apparently not taken one from the boy, but lady number 9 is seen reading a paper. The inference is obvious that she has sent the boy to her husband for a penny. We therefore pair number two with number nine. We have now disposed of all the ladies except nose, one and seven, and of all the men except nose, four and ten. On looking at number four we find that he is carrying a coat over his arm, and that the buttons are on the left side, not on the right, as a man wears them. So it is a lady's coat, but the coat clearly does not belong to number one as she is seen to be wearing a coat already, while number 7 lady is very lightly clad. We therefore pair number 7 lady with man number 4. Now the only lady left is number 1, and we are consequently forced to the conclusion that she is the wife of number 10. This is therefore the correct answer.